Movie Podcast, brought to you by ToughPigs.com. This is the podcast where we watch the Muppet movie two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. And I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And today we have a return guest who is back with us from last week. Introduce yourself, guest. Hi, I'm Roz Strand. I'm Anthony's wife and an early childhood special education teacher. Big fan of Tough Pigs. That's great. Thank you for, for joining us again. I'm very happy that you invited me back, especially for the minutes that we get to talk about tonight. Yeah, I'm glad you can make it down those 12 steps to our basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and lucky you because you get to be here for the saddest scene in this entire movie. Because I, today I'm we are looking at minutes 69 and 70 of the Muppet movie in which the Muppets build a campfire in the desert near their broken down car. They sit around feeling sorry for themselves, and Gonzo starts singing, I'm going to go back there someday. We start uh, with picking up from last time with the the car backfiring and sputtering and smoking and coming to a halt. Um, Fozzie initially tries to insist that there's no problem, but eventually... He says it twice! (laughs) Yeah, no problem. Um, But then he has to concede that they are in trouble. And uh, I don't know about you, but I blame Madman Mooney. Yeah, he sold him a bum car. I mean, it... To be fair, it only cost eleven ninety five. Yeah. Yeah. So you get to pay for it. But that's, um that's true. I do love how it, like you mentioned his optimistic no problem and then his we are in trouble. And then I love that it ends with a deflated, oh, I wish I still had my Studebaker. Yeah, those are some great line readings by Frank Oz, especially considering we can't really see Fozzie, but we totally, you know, get get what he's going through. Yeah, Rolf gets a great line in there also. Oh, what is that? Oh, Rolf. Yeah. Okay. So I have it in my notes, which is that Rolf says, there's probably something broken about the engine, I think. <laughs> which is such a weird way to phrase that. Something broken about the engine. If you were in that situation, though, somebody in your car would have said that. Everybody makes that that like inane comment where, well, yeah, duh. And I love that it's Rolf because he can totally pull it off. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's the best one. I mean, I guess Gonzo could maybe have pulled off that line, but it's that moment where you think that you you feel like you should say something to contribute, something helpful, but then as the words are coming out, you realize that it's not helpful at all. Yeah. And, <laughs> and also, I think that Gonzo might, if he had said anything, I think that it would have been ludicrous. Like maybe we hit that armadillo screw three miles back yeah you know something more out of the blue and ralph is just so good-natured and and down to earth and it's just like well something must be broken about the engine (laughs) well so but then gonzo does have a line a second later he says don't worry someone's bound to come along which he jinxed it because then we get that really beautiful shot where it's it's daytime and then it kind of dissolves into dusk and dissolves to night and we kind of see them materialize in the desert around their campfire. Um, it, this movie really always surprises me every time that they put in those really beautiful natural scenes. Yeah. It, they do such a good job. The opening and the patriotic part and now. It's just these really gorgeous panoramas in the middle of this crazy wacky comedy. It's, well, so much fun. Well, I think part of it is like 
we've talked before about how this is the Muppets in the real world. Like the Muppet show is such an artificial environment. Yeah. And they're getting out of that for the first time. Like they really went for it. They yes. put so much effort into making sure that we see that this is the real world. Yeah. And it looks great. It looks so gorgeous. Like you guys both mentioned. Yeah. And I mean, this one shot actually kind of takes up a lot of this two minute clip, but it's, it's worth it. Cause it's just, yeah, it's beautiful work by, I guess, uh, James Frawley and by Isidore Mankowski, the cinematographer. Yeah. Yeah. Who really is like maybe the, the unsung hero of this movie. He might be the secret MVP. Yeah. Right. Cause I don't know who the cinematographers were on the other Muppet movies, but I think this is the best looking one that they've ever made still. That's interesting. I guess we'll find out as we go along. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's definitely captivating. You know, whenever you work with kids as much as I do, you have to keep things hopping and moving and, and even in cartoons today and, and even with, uh, with Muppet babies, like everything was always moving constantly. And this movie takes the time to allow that cinematography to happen, to allow this beautiful time-lapse shot. And it doesn't take your focus off of it. It's just so beautiful in its own right. And I think that that's great because it gives everybody a chance to breathe and kids still pay attention. I see our nieces and nephews and they don't lose focus. They yeah. love it too. And our three-year-old daughter has seen this movie many times. Oh, that's yeah. Great. Yeah, yeah, she likes it. <laughs> See, that's, I don't know if we've actually talked about this on the show, but Anthony, you and I have talked about this many times that every, you, you'll see people on the internet like, oh, you know, I, I think the, the Muppets are, you know, kids aren't interested in that stuff anymore, that the, the old movies can't hold their attention, or not even the Muppets, just any kind of older entertainment, like pre-80s, even pre-90s, but all you have to do is make sure that your kids watch the stuff, and they'll probably like it if they, if they watch it early in their life. Yeah. I, I think that people just make assumptions based on what is popular today Yeah, and assume that their kids would be into it. But I would say that Anthony's family probably, you guys, they made that same assumption about you and your favorite movies are from the 30s. So <laughs> yeah. what's, what's the difference if, you know, our three-year-old is really into, you know, the Muppet movies and, and things like that. It, People are interested in other decades and their types of movies and their pace and things like that. Just give them a chance. Yeah. And, yeah. And when you're three, you haven't developed any prejudices yet. Like, oh, this is from the 70s. Like, she doesn't know. Right. As she far as I know, maybe maybe Iris does know that it's from the 70s, but. Yeah. I don't think she's quite there yet. No. Yeah. She's still having a hard time with, like, today versus <laughs> tomorrow yeah. versus yeah. this and right. Yesterday when I was a little baby. Yesterday when I was uh, a little baby is one of her favorite phrases. Well, that's that's what it feels like sometimes, though. Yeah. 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 Uh, so we we cut to uh, a closer shot of the Muppets gathered around their campfire. Ralph has an interesting line where he says, "Well, I guess we blew it, huh, Gonzo?" Which like they didn't do anything wrong, really. Any of them, they just had car trouble, and it, I mean, Ralph wasn't even there when they bought this car, so. Uh, yeah. But he's a very sympathetic dog. Yeah. He, he, he feels like he's part of the family now. Right. I think that's it. I will say about that campfire, we're talking about Muppets in the real world. There, that is a scene where nothing like that could have happened on the Muppet show. I mean, if they had had a fire, it would be like on stage. It would be a fake stage fire. Right? 
Right. Just like a real campfire with a very real flame. And the Muppets are gathered around it. And you see how close they are to the ground. You see the dirt. Yeah. What position are those Muppeteers in? In order to get that shot, that must yeah, be. I kind of wonder if they aren't so just like sprawled out on the ground and like laying completely flat with just like their arms up in the puppet from like underneath it mm. or something. Yeah, it you really know? makes you wonder about what kind of physical movements they had to do in order to be that low. I mean, did they cut out the ground? Did yeah, you know, they- I'm wondering. Well, the, yeah, there is a, a wider shot in a minute, but I, I'm wondering if some of this was done on a soundstage and then they composited in the shot of the background and the moon and everything, because it, it just seems like, like the kind of thing that would be so hard to do in the real world. Not that the, you know, the Muppet guys didn't love to do things that were hard to do, but yeah, right, yeah, I wonder if, if they if there was some you know some trickery and compositing going on. If they did, it's seamless. Yeah. You feel like you're outside. It's, it's, and if they didn't, then, you know, just like, again, kudos to their physical nature of their job. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, it looks great. Um, Fozzie says, we're going to miss the auditions tomorrow, right? And just, boy, everyone in the scene is so sad. Well, and, and I think that that, really sets up what is going to happen because Gonzo, whenever Ralph talks to him, he says, yeah, but the sky is so beautiful. The sky sure is beautiful out the here. The sky sure is beautiful out here. And, and all of a sudden I'm just, I'm, I'm in love with Gonzo. I always have been, mm-hmm. I've always wanted to be him. And this is setting up exactly why, you know, he is, the ultimate optimist so that whenever everything's going fine, he's hoping for an explosion. And when everything's going terribly, he's just happy to be there. Yeah. Hmm. It's, he's so wonderful with that. And, and then, you know, he gets to, he always finds that hope in all these melancholy parts. And he's, and he's been doing that for years. Um, They give him, other beautiful songs and i know that we have one of the best songs coming up but he's already in his in his dialogue he's like showing how hopeful he is even though they're stuck on the side of the road in a giant field where nobody can help them (laughs) if there are flies coming after them or like bears or wolves or anything anyway i'm terrified of fields um (laughs) but he's he's still really helpful it's wonderful yeah, that's a good point because then, like Piggy's next line is "so much for Hollywood." So they're they're all just completely depressed. Gonzo is sad, but he's still he's he still has that yeah a little bit of hope, like you say. Yeah, that's right. a really good point. Right. Well, and Piggy then specifically is like Kermit. You know, like it, it, Piggy especially, but I think they're all kind of looking for Kermit to do something to provide that hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Kermit doesn't, as we'll see in a second. But Gonzo does. Gonzo's the one who lifts them out of their darkest hour, not Kermit, which is how you would expect this movie to go. Right. And I yeah. think that's significant. And who Gonzo is, he's been doing this for so long. He has, um, you know, some really great songs from the Muppet Show, like Jamboree and the Wishing Song. Mm-hmm. 
both of them are similar at this moment because it's it's regaling all these you know difficult times all the things that you've lost which all the characters are lost right now literally lost and finding something beautiful in it yeah. you know well, i mean i think you're right like i have in my notes gonzo is often at his best when he's singing these sentimental songs yes which seems like it should be a contradiction because he's like the wacky comedy guy yeah but it's not and it's it's strange because he doesn't feel like the sad clown or something either. He just feels like a very multidimensional character. Yeah, he's got he's got a lot of depth. Yeah, but he's... in the in recent years, I think the writers have kind of struggled with that because it's too easy to do sad Gonzo and then just make him sad and forget that optimism and that hope and Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's Every... a trap they can fall into. Yeah, everybody's sitting around the campfire focusing on what they've lost, and Gonzo's focused on the sky. Yeah, you know? so his line is, boy, you could get lost in a sky like that. I wish I had those balloons again. Yeah. Which, you know, he if he had those balloons, he might be able to travel the rest of the way to Hollywood by air. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Or Bombay, you know, wherever he or wants to Or to Bombay, if there was a lot of helium in those balloons. Yeah, uh-huh. and he is rather light. He's just a little guy, yeah. And which, did you guys try to do that as a child? Because I certainly did. To fly away with balloons? Oh, with a bunch of balloons that you blew up with your own air and you were, you know, a (laughs) four-year-old discovering what helium was because you wanted to be Gonzo? Any of you? (laughs) With balloons that didn't even have helium in them? Exactly. That was the saddest part. Yeah, I I don't think so. I think I did, like, when I had a helium balloon, I would, like, maybe jump and, and try to see if it would you know, lift me off the air a little bit, but it never worked. Yeah, this was me spending my, you know, hard-earned allowance, which I got from a very young age because I was the youngest kid. So I got allowance earlier than anybody else. Buying, you know, probably 50-cent bag of balloons, blowing them all up, and then expecting to be able to, like, jump off my bed and then catch me. Uh, and you fly away. And I would like fly that. away. Yeah. No, Fortunately, I only tried it off the bed, so I did not get hurt. But um, yeah, it was. I definitely had tried that because he floated with balloons. Hmm. Hmm. So uh, yeah, so we mentioned Piggy's lines. So much for Hollywood. Everyone looks at, at Kermit. Kermit says, "Listen, gang, I never promised we'd make it. I never promised anything," which is going to kind of lead into the clip in our next episode. But um, for now, we. We hear music and uh, we get a great example of why it is so good to be a Muppet because you can just pull out an instrument at any given time and play it like you've been playing it your whole life. Yeah. Ralph has a harmonica. Fozzie pulls out a little Muppet-sized guitar and they, they both... like. I don't think we've ever seen Fozzie play a guitar before. But I don't think we've ever seen Ralph play a harmonica before. I, no, I don't think so. But they, they both just know how to play these instruments. Right. Um, well, if I could say something about Kermit, though, before we get into the song... Sure. Um, Kermit's line. I never promised we'd make it. I never promised anything. Um, you hear a lot about Kermit in Muppets Take Manhattan being kind of a downer, right? Like being like, we're, we're not going to make it on Broadway. You guys should all leave, you know, whatever. Um, stop, stop relying on me for anything, you know, on, for everything, whatever he says to those guys in that scene at Pete's and right before and after Pete's. Um, this is that same Kermit, right? Like this is, this is that exact same sentiment. Like, I'm tired of being the leader. Stop expecting me to do everything. Yeah. And I feel like we've seen that a few times over the years. Right. But it's something where 
when I like lately you hear people say that like Disney Kermit is too chipper or something, which I don't see. I've never seen it, but I feel like this is the kind of stuff that people are missing when they say that. Right. That he's like a real guy who reacts to things in a real way. Sometimes he's like happy. Sometimes upon. he's sad. Sometimes he's bitter. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The put upon leader of the bunch that it's like mentally exhausting to, to keep up this, this Ooh, journey. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sorry. We can, we can talk about Ralph's harmonica, which is adorable. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, he's a, uh, well, and in both cases, these are, and maybe that's why they're the ones who pull out the instruments because, uh, both of these guys are live hand puppets, so they can actually, you know, um, it, look it like they're playing lot. these instruments. Piggy wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, it would take a lot of, of time and effort to organize Piggy's fingers or Gonzo's fingers to... Or to, Camilla's to, wings. Uh, <laughs> right. Camilla's wings. That might be easier, though. Although, yeah, I would like to see Flap Camilla... Flap a wing off the top of the frets, and, and yeah. she's ready to go. yeah. I would enjoy seeing Camilla play the guitar. Sure. Yeah. But um, yeah, so we get the the first uh, few seconds of I'm going to go back there someday here. Um, Gonzo, yeah. I, I, I didn't write down all the lyrics that we hear. I think we get as far as this looks familiar, vaguely familiar, almost unreal. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I but, just went ahead and listened to the entire song. I can't. Sure. I can't DJ half tracks. This yeah. Song. Now, Roz, you specifically, <laughs> when we were lining up uh, uh, guests for our episodes, you specifically requested a minute that had this song in it. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. It's it's one of the most special songs ever written, and one of the most special performances of it, because people have. I heard this song probably not nearly as much as Rainbow Connection or It's Not Easy Being Green, you know. I don't know that Frank Sinatra ever sang this, but <laughs> it is it's really my it's probably my absolute favorite Muppet song ever. And it it's um and I think that it's very special to a, a lot of people, not just me. I remember uh, we got to um, hear and meet Dave Golds whenever he came to St. Louis. What was what was the tour that he was coming? He on? was just showing the um, what's it like the the Jim Henson Magic and Memories or whatever. It was a it was a, Jim like a collection movie. of screenings, yeah, yeah. collection yeah. of clips and yeah. yeah. And we had we had the benefit of living near St. Louis at the time, so we got to go see that and hearing him talk about it. He learned from his wife. He talked about how his wife had come to him. She had gotten the mail. She had gotten his, um, the music in the mail for him to learn before they shot it. And she said, you get to sing the most beautiful song in the entire movie. Hmm. And she was, she was right. So I, I think that that's really, really cool that they gave this to Gonzo, who is this like, melancholy optimist um, who can really pull off this very, very strange abstract song. That's one of the most beautiful love songs and lullabies all wrapped into one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's more poetry than, than anything, the lyrics. Yeah. yeah. It's just imagery. Yeah. It's imagery and it's, uh, it's open-ended, you know, it's not, it doesn't have anything, 
finite about it. Whenever this song plays, then it kind of goes on in your head afterwards too. Um, just because a lot of the images don't, don't come together in a single picture. It's, it's very broad. And I've talked to a lot of kids about the song because I've sung this song for years to a lot of different kids. I've sung it in my classroom, sung it to my nieces and nephews. I sing it to my daughter any night that well, she lets me. So when was the, so I, might, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but when was the first time you sang it to our daughter? Uh, in the operating room, the first time I held her. Mm -hmm. and, yep, literally yeah. the first thing you ever said to her. Uh, yeah, I don't even think I said her name first. I think that I was just, you know, uh, just holding her and I just started singing it because yeah. that's, that's that was the only time that I've ever come close to the the real feeling of this song um, is, you know, birth. And I know not everybody can relate to that, but that was that was the closest thing to actually being a realization of the song. Do you feel like you, you understood the song on a level that you hadn't before, maybe? Yeah, especially those first lines, like, this looks familiar, vaguely familiar. She was my first child. I had never had that before, but yet I felt like I had always had her with me. And I don't know how that's possible. Um, you know, I'd never there's, seen her face up until that moment. And right. I knew her so there's well. not a word yet. You might say. Yeah. And, and so I just, I sang that song to her and, and, uh, yeah, no, I'm not going to cry right now. Wow. No, yeah. No, oh, but that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, me neither. I was going to say, which, you know, and I was just there watching. That's a beautiful that memory. Was, yeah. It was one of the most special moments of my entire life. Also. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, then it's a good thing. Um, they, they, did it the way they ended up doing it in the movie because in the June 12th, 1978 draft of the script that we have been periodically comparing the movie to, um, the, the specific songs hadn't been written yet, but there were little notes about what each song was going to be. So um, the other thing is at this point, Scooter and Animal were in the car with the gang, as I mentioned uh, last episode. So yeah. at this point in the scene... Uh, this, that draft of the screenplay uh, describes that Gonzo starts playing the harmonica and then Gonzo and Scooter together sing a sad, poignant little song as a duet, which huh. would have been fine, but there's just something about having Gonzo sing it. Right. I mean, it's it's great the way it is. On the other hand, though, um, Richard Hunt hardly gets to sing in this movie. That's yeah. true. And he's an incredible singer. So I think if it had been Gonzo and Scooter... I don't think we would be like, wow, what's Scooter doing there? Oh no, we would still love it, but <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, it would it would definitely add something. It it would be a different song though, for sure. It would be well. First of all, I wouldn't be able to sing it with a lullaby with two voices as easily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> any any song that you change from a solo to a duet, then you kind of change the meaning of the song because you're thinking about how the characters are thinking about or each other, interacting, yeah, as mm -hmm. they sing it. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really glad with what it is. Sure. Yeah. So that's interesting that that was originally going to be a duet. Yeah. So, uh, that's actually all I have. Any other specific notes for the scene or the song? Um, I have one thing, which is another comment from Dave goals in uh, an interview with Ken Plume on Muppet central in the year 2000, Dave goals noted 
if Paul Williams had a strong identification with Gonzo. He said, Gonzo reminds me of a flightless bird. And for me, that's where his pathos come from. So he wrote this incredible set of lyrics about yearning to reconnect with something. Jim and Jerry Jewell decided to use the song at the bleak moment when all the characters are stuck in the desert. Gonzo's song re-inspires Kermit to continue his quest. This all happened without me. I was in California preparing to build my house. I showed up at the read-through and everyone said, wow, you've got this incredible song. So that's a little more from Dave, uh, what, like what Roz mentioned he said in St. Louis. Clearly this song means a lot to him. I mean, he talks yeah. about it a lot. And I get it. I mean, you know, how many, how many essentially children's performers get to do a song like this in their highest profile project of all time, right? Right. And it's interesting to think of him encountering the song for the first time and knowing even then that it, that, you know, how special it was. Right. Yeah. Um, I know that we only get to hear in these first few minutes um, only some of the lines, but I know that. Just, just if you guys will permit me to jump ahead to that bridge, um, please. It's sure. really, it's really beautiful. The imagery there, um, you know, at ho- we'll be at home in midair and featherless wings and hold on to love with invisible strings. I just love that, and I love singing that to kids. Not only my daughter before before I ever met Anthony, I would sing it to my nieces and nephews a lot. And they really do respond to that song as much as adults who are like contemplating every line of it like we do. Mm-hmm. Um, because I remember my niece, Kaylin saying, you know, where is he talking about? And I'm like, I don't know. Where do you think he's talking about? And she goes, heaven or, or France, maybe, <laughs> you know, just, <laughs> just how those, how those little minds uh, try to make sense of it. And it, it's, again, it's an opportunity for them to create just by listening to that song. And just related to this podcast, this, this song has a line in it that totally relates to Tough Pigs, which is old friends who've just met. Yeah, yeah. And we, we talk about that a lot. Oh, like, it, of course. That has come up in Tough Pigs meetings, you know, like when we get together. Yeah, yeah. If, 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 um. You know, Muppet fans who grew up wasn't your wasn't your tagline for Tough Pigs. Then old friends who just met probably should be, because every Tough Pig meetup I've ever been to, I'm not even that active online at all. But that's exactly how you feel. Even if you've never met these people at all, you have something so deeply in common, something that you love and they love, and therefore we're going to all grab a burger and then grab a puppet and then probably do something that will, you know, we'll talk about and stories for years and years and years to come, even though you've just met them. I remember I had that same experience meeting you in New York, Ryan, you and Stacy. that was so yeah, much sure. fun. Um, so yeah, it's really, it's, it, this song just covers a lot of different experiences. And I think that that's what, you know, Paul Williams and Kenny Asher really gave to us is they gave us this, you know, simple melody and the words that don't really make practical sense. It's not a practical song, but it gives you the words that kind of explains all these amazing feelings that you can have with another person that don't really have a word. And, 
you know, it's sometimes that just expresses that love or, or faith or connection. And, you know, in some ways it kind of heals us and, mm-hmm. and that's how it's helped me so much. It's just an amazing piece of music. And I'm after this podcast, I'm probably going to go listen to it again. It's just that beautiful all the time. Absolutely. So thanks for letting me get rather sappy. <laughs> sure. Well, yeah, I, I can't possibly uh, add anything to that. Anthony, do you have anything? I, I don't think I do. All right. Well, in that case, we will wrap things up for another episode. Um, make sure you check out toughpigs.com on the internet, everyone, and on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and other places. You, you can uh, find me on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe. You can find Anthony on Twitter at Zeppo Marxist. And uh, Roz, is there any place on the internet where people can find you? If you are a personal friend of mine, I am very easy to find. If not, you can probably, you know, send a message to Zeppo Marxist and he'll tell me about it. <laughs> there you go. That's a good, yeah. If anyone has any, any comments, any, any messages to send to Roz. Uh, and if you are so inclined, please give us a positive review on iTunes. We've seen a couple of those pop up, and it's very nice to see that. And, uh, you know, feel free to, to drop by Facebook and Twitter and, and comment on the episode, on the, on the show in general. And also, make sure that you come back next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Bye. Bye. Make sure there's nothing broken about the engine.